Hello, and welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP here in Flagstaff. My name is Gabriel Dixon, your host, joined by Dallas Cooper as always. We got Tony as the guest of the half hour. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing pretty good tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. And we're going to be talking a little football, but to start, we're going to be talking about the NHL. Hockey season just started a couple weeks ago. Things are starting to get into it pretty heated at this point in time. We have a lot of people saying that the Colorado Avalanche aren't looking too good. Golden Knights are looking really good. A couple of really good mentions so far, but I want to go to you, to you, to I want to go to you, Tony, first on this one. Who are some of the early favorites that you've seen so far this season? Well, so far, the the Golden Knights are sort of back on track after missing the playoffs last year, uh, sort of in an unforgivable fashion after uh, losing three straight games to end the season in the shootout. But so far this year, they're nine and two. They're on a five-game winning streak. They beat Washington last night. Um, and some of the other favorites, I'd say, I mean, Boston's off to an incredible start, 9-1. and one. They brought back David Krejci, and he looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Their check line has been incredible. The Rangers are going to be a, a favorite due exclusively to Igor Shosturkin, and he hasn't played like he did last season. He got nominated for MVP last year. He won the Vesna, but... If he gets back to that level, the Rangers, obviously a huge favorite. Carolina has been really good to start the season 6-2-1. So in the East, those are my favorites. And then obviously in the West, the Avalanche are going to, they're going to get back on track. It's, it's less of a if, more of a when at this point. I'm, I know that they downgraded at goalie with uh, Darcy Kemper going to uh, the Capitals, and they brought in Alexander Georgiev to sort of, supplement that and give him a chance at being a starter it really hasn't worked out so far but they have a good enough defense and they have arguably the best defenseman in the league in Kale McCarr and one of the best centers in the league in Nathan McKinnon they, they have too much talent not to be a favorite in any way and then Tampa Bay has started off slow uh, and they've started off slow the last couple of years it's just really the amount of hockey they've played they've gone to three straight Stanley Cups and won two of them so if they can get back on track, which usually they do, it is hard to wake up for a game in February when you're used to playing that sort of hockey. But, yeah, I'd say that those are my favorites for this year. I can understand that. And right now I just want to take a little quick break. The World Series, forgot to mention it, is on its way. Philadelphia Phillies are up 2-1 in the series, but also 5-0. They're down 5-0 right now in Game 4. Astros are looking pretty solid, but back to the NHL discussion. I want to ask you, Tony, before we get to Dallas and, and some of his witty points, how much of a chance do you, do you see Tampa Bay Lightning being able to take over that Atlantic division, even though you see a Boston Bruins squad looking this, this dominant so far? Uh, I don't know if they win the division. Um, they're definitely going to be in the top three. Because uh, they have the Atlantic division is the strongest division in the league. You have the Bruins, who are obviously off to a great start. Uh, you have the Sabres, who shockingly, for once, seem like a decent team so far 10 games in. Uh, the Lightning are actually third right now in that division, but they do have to contend with teams. Uh, Toronto, which has been an incredibly hilarious disappointment, as always, because Toronto fans, they're like the Dallas Cowboys of the NHL. Brutal. They truly are. They <laughs> lost to the Ducks. They blew a 3-1 uh, lead to them. They did win tonight against the Flyers, but... Uh, they lost four in a row to teams in the West that they really shouldn't have. And then they also have to contend with Florida, who they were the President's Trophy winner last year, who they did beat in the playoffs. They have to contend with Ottawa, who added Claude Giroux and Alex Dabrinkit, two, a great, two great wingers. And uh, they have to compete with Detroit, who looks like a brand new team this year. They added a ton of guys like David Perron and Dominic Kubelik, and they've just... The Atlantic division is going to be incredibly tough. So I don't necessarily see them taking over and dominating it, but I definitely think that they're going to be a top three team. What about you, Dallas? What are you thinking about the NHL season so far? Is any team standing out to you? I think I have to go back to what Tony said about Carolina. They were like the early season, one of the favorites, actually. And one of their top, they have one of the top coaches in the league. And Frederick Anderson, he has to prove he can stay healthy. He's just gotten injured again, and that's been kind of an issue with him throughout his career. So hopefully he can stay healthy. And we got to talk about that Seattle Kraken team. Although they are young, and yes, by now the audience knows I'm everything with yeah, Seattle. So you're a biased man on this <laughs> But they are a young team with a bunch of prospects. 
and the future could look bright. This season might not go exactly their way, but you got to keep looking for years beyond. Develop your young pieces, and they're getting their playing time, so hopefully they can keep developing, and Kraken could be something in the future. The Seattle Kraken won it. The newest NHL team has been looking pretty solid since they came on. One of the, the best scene. uniforms, I have to say, too. I would say yeah. they, yeah, they definitely, and I love their stadium. The reverse retro is pretty trash. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's some things here and there. Going into that division, though, that's against your Golden Knights. You can see him repping the hat right now. You're, you know, Dallas. <laughs> that's going to be a hard division. We talked about the Atlantic a little bit, but this one has also the Edmonton Oilers that had a very deep run this last postseason golden knights definitely a solid team have a team like the kraken and then you can't ever forget about teams like the los angeles kings as well so tony do you think that this division might be the hardest out of all of them no it's definitely the atlantic the thing about the pacific division is that it's an incredibly top heavy division so you have teams like the flames the oilers the golden knights but then you also have teams like the canucks and the ducks and the sharks and those three teams have been awful to start the season. The the uh, the Anaheim Ducks, the Golden Knights played against them uh, last week in a four nothing win. The Anaheim Ducks were, as watching as a fan, there was no point in that game where I was afraid that the Anaheim Ducks would score. That was, they were awful when I watched them. Now Seattle, they're five four and two. They're doing really good so far to start the season, especially compared to a pretty rough. Uh, inaugural season, but I mean they have the rookie Matty Berniers who looks to be a stud. They drafted Shane Wright who could be a steal. Uh, I know he hasn't put up the points some people are expecting of him so far, but Seattle is a definitely an upcoming an up and coming team. And the uh, them upsetting Calgary last night uh, and winning five to four in a game that they were down four to two at the beginning of the third period after allowing two goals in 17 seconds, that was a big win for them. And if Seattle's able to be mediocre and challenge for like a wild card, uh, I think that the Pacific Division could be a little bit more, uh, there could be some more competition in it than there has been in previous years. But I definitely would say that the Atlantic is the toughest. The East is just so strong this year. Do you see the Oilers going anywhere? Well, I mean, they made the conference finals last year. And Connor McDavid is off to a ridiculous start. He has 11 goals in 10 games. And Leon Dreisaitl has 20 points in 10 games. And they're just the Batman and Robin uh, of the NHL. And as long as now they have an actually good goaltender in, uh, in Jack Campbell instead of Mike Smith, who was 45. Not actually, but almost. Old man. <laughs> but yeah, the Oilers, any, any of those top three teams in the Pacific can definitely make noise. All right. Well, that's going to have to wrap up the NHL segment. We're going to move on to a little NFL right now. It's in the midst of the season, full swing right now. We saw a crazy trade deadline. A lot of teams pulling different, different things to try and improve their team. One team that we saw not make really any moves was the Los Angeles Rams, who are sitting at 3-4 and four right now. Should they be too worried about this, Dallas, especially in a division where it's not really been looking too challenging? Is it a bad thing or should we be pressing the panic button on this situation just the Super Bowl de defending champions going three and four so far I wouldn't put a panic necessarily on them being patient at the deadline I think a lot of it has to do with truly how much can you truly improve that team right now the pass blocking on that team is not what it used to be Andrew Whitworth's retirement has completely shown although he was in his 40s last year he was still playing at an elite level and their offensive line's just been utter terrible. They probably got the worst running back group in the league. I don't think that's really a contest, a contest at this point. Cam Akers is not the same back he was before. Coming off that Achilles tear, he came back, I think it was a six months. Very soon. Some like record-breaking coming back from that. And that's normally one of those where you are not the same for two, three years. That is not good that he's still not playing to that level that if he was before. not the same ever again. Yeah, if not the same ever again. Matt Stafford... I don't think he's playing as bad as people are thinking. When he has time in the pocket, he's still pretty good in the pocket, and he's still there making throws that he needs to. The problem is Cooper Cup just hasn't had the help this year. Allen Robinson, it's starting to mesh, but it's still kind of rough with the it's a rough patches. Yeah, I think the loss of uh, of OBJ 
Oh, and and the loss of Von Miller. I think those were, were two pickups for the Rams last season that really helped them win the Super Bowl. And without them, uh, just adding that talent to the offense and defense, that does it sort of brings down both entirely. Yeah, I would say you see the Los Angeles Rams offering the Carolina Panthers two first-round picks for Brian Burns. Carolina obviously declines. But they are in desperate need to have some help off the edge again, someone like Yvonne Miller. And then you mentioned it, Andrew Whitworth. Just his presence alone, his leadership, you know, does a lot for an uh, offensive line group, being able to steer them in the right direction and get the right mentality into those guys. I think it's time to hit the panic button, though, if you're the Los Angeles Rams. Who knows if you're even going to make the playoffs, you know? And that's a serious question at this point in time. Seattle Seahawks looking like a better team at this point in time, and so do the, Los, so do the San Francisco 49ers. So you're the third best team in that division in my mind. That's not good coming off a Super Bowl, you know. Report came out today that Sean McVay is going to be done once the core group of this team is over, which is just a weird report for me to hear. It was like... It's kind of been known, though, yeah. Yeah, but it was like once Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and uh, all these guys are done, then he's done. I'm like, well, Cooper Cup and... Matthew Stafford could have another at least eight years. Yeah. So what are we talking about? You know, are we talking about like are they going to be dismantled in the next couple of years, or like what's going to happen to this group of players? Aaron Donald's only like thirty one, thirty two, I believe, or something like that. So I think it's just very interesting what's happening in Los Angeles right now. You know, they they're a team that went all in. They got a Super Bowl out of it, but I think we're seeing the repercussions of of a team doing that. You know. They're giving away all their draft pieces. They're not really building from the draft. Sean McVay's a great coach. He's been able to handle all these pieces coming in and make good fits out of them. But how long can you do that? You know, it's not something that really Bill Belichick did. That we saw the greatest coach of all time. He never really built through trades or anything. It was really through the draft, getting good key pieces. Sometimes you trade for for players, but you definitely don't compromise the future for it. Los Angeles Rams are are Kira's case to me. I don't know. I think if, if I'm on that team, I, I hit the panic button. But that's going to have to do it for the first 15 minutes. We'll be back in a couple more minutes to be talking more football. Y'all stay tuned. Welcome back on Wednesday night. It's the double-double on KLJX LP, LP Flagstaff. And we're talking about this interesting quarterback class from this past couple of years ago. It was the class that was, at the time, touted supposed to be one of the best that we've seen in recent history. And so far in their short careers, it's not been pretty to watch. We got Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and I'm going to say it. I know you didn't want me to, Gabe. Davis Mills. Davis Mills. Now, each of these quarterbacks haven't been too very hasn't been bright there's been some bright spots for here and there for some of them but not so much for others so tony i'm gonna I'm get this to you first what was your kind of original thoughts on the class at the time of the draft and what are you thinking now and who would you build your team around if you could choose one of them uh well at the time because you know I'll, I'll go off the the first five picks uh, uh of the qbs in that draft because it was lawrence wilson lance Fields and Jones. Uh, for for Trevor Lawrence, okay, right off his entire rookie season, th- that doesn't count. This is his rookie year, like truly. That was that was an absolute clown show. What happened in Jacksonville last year? And honestly, this year I'd say he's playing like a rookie quarterback would. Uh, this is this is your your regular rookie season. He's shown some good flashes. He's made some really good throws, but. He's not where he's not where a lot of people thought he'd be. For Zach Wilson, similar story. I mean, it was always sort of a, a thing that he was gonna be a developmental guy, especially with the the question of his uh, strength of opponent at BYU. And we're sort of starting to see that. I mean, the brightest spot of his entire career has been an off the field incident <laughs> involving a rumor. So <laughs> Trey Lance, we've seen. What did he play? One game? I think it was it was like either one or two games, something like that. Yeah, not enough sample size to make it any. Was like two and a half, right? Yeah, and then he played this year. Yeah, 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 yeah two yeah. and a half this year. Yeah. And they and played a little bit. Injured. Yeah, 
And yeah, there's just not a, a big enough sample size with Lance to determine anything for him. Justin Fields, I was really excited about because I thought that it was it was huge that he had fallen that far because I honestly thought that he was going to get picked up uh, sooner than what was it eleventh? Eleventh. Um, and then Mac Jones, he had a great rookie season under Bill Belichick. Pro Bowl. Yeah, and this year he looks he looks awful. The the Jets and Patriots game was two quarterbacks trying to hand the opposing team a victory. Here's what I'll say. The Patriots or the Jets, both of those teams, and you can even throw in the Chicago Bears, those teams don't really have wide receivers for these quarterbacks. They don't have a, a solid enough offense. I would say maybe, maybe the Jets with more and a couple other studs on that team, but still, that's not a, like that great of a, a wide receiver core. And the New York Jets are above, above 500 at this point in time, still. So you can say despite despite Zach Wilson. I know you're going to say that over here at Dallas. But I think Zach Wilson has kind of showed at least to be a decent enough game manager throughout these games. He's thrown a couple really horrendous picks. Has not looked that great, but like you mentioned too, he's a developmental quarterback. I'm going to put him third on my list, though. And I think we're all – are we all in agreement with number one? Are we going with Trevor Lawrence here? Or does anyone have any disputes on that one? All right, Trevor Lawrence, number one. All right, who are we going with number two, Dallas? Who's your number two? I think it's 1A, 1B. I'd go 1A Lawrence and 1B Fields right now. Mm, that's my boy. Okay, why? Fields, he's shown one thing you can't teach at the quarterback position, and I'm glad the Bears are finally building an offense around it. So quarterback with 4-4 speed that can throw the ball 60 yards down the field. That doesn't come on trees. This is a quarterback. You finally get a 6-4 wide receiver in Chase Claypool to actually build something around him and give him a weapon. And I don't know, maybe your offensive coordinator, the Bears offensive coordinator, finally realized, hey, our quarterback can run. Maybe we let's put in a read option and some quarterback runs and maybe you'll be successful. And Justin Fields has all of a sudden looked like a brand new quarterback these last few games because they've implemented the offense around him. It's never been a question on the talent Justin Fields has. It's what can Justin Fields do within the offense. The offense has to be built for him. Yeah, I don't think he's a Tom Brady type quarterback where he can understand defenses and pick them apart in in the pocket too much at this point in time. So, yeah, you have to build a game plan like they have been, like you've seen the past two games. Still barely even eclipsed 200 yards in one of those games. Then he had like 175 in the last game but almost had 100 yards with his feet. You know, that's the type of game plan you have to have. Before I get too deep into my Chicago Bears bias, biasy, Tony, who's your number two? Uh, I'd have to agree, Justin Fields. Although, based on, based on rookie performances in the worst of situations, I honestly would put Davis Mills in the, into the conversation. Not, not into that one or two spot, but I think that he's... Based on how he played last year under the system that he was in, and because the Texans were awful last year, and they're awful again this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, they lost to a team that got shut out by the Saints. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, for, for him to be in that system, I think he's a stopgap at the end of the day for the Texans. But Davis Mills has played about as well as he can in that position, especially based on where he was drafted. So I'd throw Davis Mills into the conversation, but I'd say that Justin Fields is probably too. Man, that's some, that's some good stuff to hear right there, honestly. <laughs> Justin Fields, number two on that. Dallas, he has something to say? This, this might shock someone, but I got Wilson last on that list from those quarterbacks. I, the thing about him being a game manager is in a game manager, you would wish for your game manager to protect the ball and just in general be safe, give it back to the defense. But Zach Wilson is good for at least three throws a game where you just look at your TV and you say, what were you thinking? I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback throw an interception just because they were throwing the ball out of bounds. No, yeah, and he didn't throw it too far out of bounds enough. He threw it right at the dude. I've never seen that. Fields has done that before. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I remember him doing that um, late last year. Tried to throw it out like back of the end zone, you know, just typical, and someone picked it off. You know what I mean? It's, 
It happens, but yeah, he has 16 interceptions or five interceptions in the season so far, 16 in his career. They have receivers on that team, too. They have some receivers, yeah. Derek Wilson, Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims. These were all in the draft class. Those were receivers that were He's someone really I would, good. I'm not, I'm not saying it's over for him, though, Zach Wilson. You know, I still would give him a little bit of time. I think someone like Trey Lance, I look at him and be like, this guy, is he's a dud, you know? You can tell the 49ers regret that pick. Like, you can tell that they want Jimmy G to be their quarterback now, going on in the future, going forward. They don't want Trey Lance to quarterback this team, at least at this point in time. They know they, they knew they didn't want it this season, or else they would have traded Jimmy G, or at least made it very clear, you know, at the end of the day, this guy's available. And they kind of did, but they we all know they got some trade offers. But we're going to have to move on to the – Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans, very solid team so far this season. Five and two. Derrick Henry just tied AP and OJ Simpson for the most 200-yard games. This team is looking pretty solid. But are they legit? Let me go to you with this one, Dallas. I'm not entirely sure yet, to be, <laughs> if to be completely honest. I would say their defense is... Their defense has been playing completely insane. Right now, on first and second down, they're the number one defense, and it's not it's not been close. And on third downs, they're only allowing third down conversions on twenty five percent. So the offense is literally only get completing a third down one in every four tries against them. That's not good if you're an opposing offense looking at that. And Malik Willis just started this last game. Tannehill's been injured. He might play this Sunday. Not, they're not sure yet. He only attempted 10 passes, but had six, or six completions on 10 attempts. So not much, but he showed some flashes, that young quarterback. I loved him at Louisville, personally. Say it again? I think he went to Liberty. Was it Liberty? I think, I think he went to Liberty. You see, here's the... Yeah, it was Liberty, Liberty huh? Yeah, he yeah. was a baller there. Here's the thing about the Titans. And I see them sort of like the Cowboys last year, where they're the one good team in a terrible division. And I mean, let's look at their matchups so far throughout the season. They lost to the Ravens in their first game. Okay, that's a, that's a fair loss. They beat the Buccaneers, which now is not looking like too difficult of a feat. They beat the Cardinals. Again, not too difficult of a feat. Preseason games, yeah, those, those games were solid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they lost to the New York Giants in game one. Then they lost to the Buffalo Bills. Then they beat the Raiders, which, not a tough feat. They beat the Colts, they beat the Commanders, they beat the Colts again, and they beat the Texans. Those are their wins. Very low, very bottom-of-the-barrel teams. Not great teams. Out of all of those teams, who's the best one? The Commanders? That's that's not good. Uh, (laughs) That's a a hard decision to make out of the... They'd probably say the Raiders, but... Yeah, when you... you, That division is terrible. It's probably the worst division in football maybe I could say the NFC South is pretty bad, too. Just both the South divisions are Yes, both trash. the South divisions are really terrible. Uh, even the NFC North is pretty bad, too. And they go against Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs next. So being that they were a, they're a top-run defense unit with Jeffrey Simmons, or, then they really just they get at the ball. They're really physical at the line. But that's Pat Mahomes... Not, that's not how the Chiefs work. The Chiefs are going to want to air it out. And they got Kadarius <laughs> Toney coming in. And he doesn't get much playing time in New York. He was injured a lot. That boy can move. He might be their version of Tyreek Hill. They might implement him in similar uses. If they're going to be legit, the Titans have to have a good showing against the Chiefs. I don't necessarily see them winning, but if, they, if they're able to compete and give the Chiefs a challenge, then I think that that's a bit closer to saying that the Titans are legit. I think the Titans are the furthest thing from legit. Personally, you're faking. We went over that. We went over the schedule. Pretenders. Very, very bad teams. You know that they have to play. They got five wins off of teams that are 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 obviously bottom ten, maybe fifteen if you're really trying to be generous. <laughs> at that point, and then who's on that team besides Derrick Henry that you really believe in, especially on the offensive end? Nobody. There's nobody on that team that I look to. And I'm like, I'm scared of them, especially. If you're game planning for Tennessee, you just stack the box yep. all day. You, I just have eight men in the box. 
throw a deep on me. I promise you it's not going to happen, especially with Ryan Tannehill. I mean, once he comes back, we'll see how good that boy is. But Malik Willis, he's like, all right, so far. Yeah. But no one's scared of him either. Yeah. Well, that's going to have to do it for the NFL segment. Thank you, Tony, for being on. Thank you guys for having me. You already know. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking World Cup and some other soccer coverage. Y'all take care. Welcome back to the Double Double on Wednesday nights. KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your co-host, Dallas Cooper, with my other co-host, Gabriel Dixon, and our guest, Lena Seltzer, who is here to talk to us about the World Cup. And we have some favorites, some sleepers going on this year. So I'm going to give this to you, Gabe, to start this off. Let me start this off. Who is your favorite for the upcoming World Cup? Well, when we had Lena last on, I said France. France has gone through some, some difficulties that we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the segment. So I'm going to have to switch it up a little bit, and I'm going to go with Brazil. They are the favorites at this point in time as far as betting odds. But I do believe that they have a solid squad built around Neymar, and I think that they'll be able to make a deep run in this, in this World Cup and really turn around what has been a disastrous showing by them in the past couple appearances. I think that they'll get back to... Get back to the dominance that most of the world has, has known Brazil for being. Really put on that, that classy, really fancy passing work that we've seen in the past. And I think they'll come away with the chip. But at this point in time, it's going to be difficult because there is obviously a lot of different countries that have their names in the hat. But Brazil is going to be the one I think I hang my hat on right now. I'll get into it a little bit later because I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. But I'm going to have to bring this over to you, Lena. Who is your favorite for the upcoming World Cup? And kind of what are some interesting things you've kind of noticed throughout the World Cup and kind of important things going on recently? Well, I would say that we just really can't escape Brazil. Like, they're just on, on top of the, the world ranking list in the moment. But also, they are like closely followed by Belgium. You mentioned this last time as well, and Argentina. So I think they all, from their groups, are, are the best. And they can all proceed very very far in the tournament like semi-finals maybe even finals we might see a uh, rematch of the Copa America between Argentina and Brazil it's like both possible and like you know it's always with like these big tournaments like they have their own rules basically a little bit so even if the team's like showing a good good amount of work and good effort nice players you never know what happens so it's like so difficult to predict but I think these three are just really on top of their game in the moment. South America has always been kind of at least known for being a pretty predominant co continent, I would say, as far as soccer. But Europe has been really the dominant force in the past decade and a half, Definitely. probably so. Do you think that this is maybe a shift in the change of powers between continents? Do you think that maybe South America might be hosting a, a World Cup between two countries within that continent, like you were saying? Well, um, I think South America fall a little bit behind like during the last years, especially like, we have seen good performances of Chile and Ecuador like a couple of years ago, or, like a couple of years ago is maybe like an understatement, but like not that recently anymore. But we know that they had some good players there. Also, Uruguay is still one that's also like, let's say, in the midfield somewhere when we talk about the big nations. But I remember when I was younger and we watched World Cup, there was like Ecuador was a was a threat, you know, like or Chile and they disappeared a little bit from, from our lists, I would say. So I think like European soccer really took over a little bit um, and like compared to everything else, it's just like they have so many good big teams and like with all the national leagues and like European tournaments, Champions League and all that, you just have all these players competing with each other and uh, you can compare them really well and you want to play in Europe. So I think it's a bit also a bit like free market, you know, if you have like good competition, you want to have like, you want to be better so you can beat the competition or just live up to that. So you just crowd this all in Europe and they just, they just want to get better. And also it's like really important for us, like for you guys here in, in the US, American football is the thing. And for us, soccer, like that's the number one sport. So we have like this whole training and education system to get these people into soccer and like educate them and train them to be the best and we have scouts that spot them at a really young age and put them into the big 
clubs so they can grow in there and then transfer to somewhere in Europe um, and grow a big career. So I think it's just like the system, you know, the system is just making it that Europe took over a little bit. I think it's always crazy because you talk about that and you s you'll see like 15, 16 year old kids, even maybe sometimes younger at points, get signed to like the minor league team to like Barcelona or something like that and really start prospecting these kids from a very young age. That doesn't really happen in, in American sports too much. You know, you'll get recruited by colleges and stuff like that. But for the most point, I don't, at least here in America, our professional sports don't really allow for younger kids to get signed, but it's such a predominant thing worldwide. And I think even kids like Lionel Messi got signed to the minor league in Barcelona when he was like 14 or something like that. It's like, I think we don't have your high school sports system. Mm -hmm. So like we play this in, in club sport, but it's like not that only people with money can, can go there. It's like for everyone. Mm -hmm. So you just put in a couple of euros, pounds, wherever you're playing, and then you can be in, into soccer. It's like not the big club now, but if you get scouted and someone says like, hey, I see a really good talent in this kid, you could proceed to a big club so you're playing for this big club and I think our age limit is like 16 or a little bit below 16 and if you're in this minor league of your club and they're just like hey this kid is killing it we need to have this on our professional team they just take you on you know so uh, it's also to have it's nice to have young talents and you can just put them into your premier league or bundesliga team and just put them out there and be like okay show us what you can do and grow here definitely I mean we see every day you know Kylian Mbappe, a couple of years ago, came onto the scene hot, you know, as a little 18, 19-year-old kid, lighting the world on storm. We see even, like, um, Webin, Webin Yama. I, oh, my God, I, yeah. always, I always kill his name. <laughs> but just young kids like that, you know, always going to come onto the scene and really make a name for themselves. But like you were saying, Europe still has some really good competition, and they are looking to definitely make a name for themselves in this World Cup. You have teams like Croatia, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, really looking to make a push. I also Who, want to include Denmark here again. Denmark, there's they there's are even they are actually in front of Germany in the world rank list. Oh, okay. So okay. like, don't, please don't spare them. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. You still got teams like England and Italy and Spain. Obviously, there's there's Italy's not competing though. Italy is yeah, it's like the reigning European champion. Yep. Didn't make it through the qualification. Yes, yes, unfortunately. Argentina is the one that beat them. Yeah. This, so there are still a lot of good teams, but out of those teams in Europe, which ones do you see um, as far as being underdogs do you think that can really make a name for themselves? Um, it's really difficult. Like, you have so many good ones in the top. Or, like, it's so difficult to say. Like, I say, like, the top 10 maybe when we look at the world ranks in the Mo, um, they're just so close to each other, you know? Like, it's not really saying, like, oh, it's, like, on they are on top. Brazil is like in first place and they are just killing everything, you know, like it's just really minor differences can make can make the change in the game. Um, I think maybe we also have to have a look on the Netherlands. Like they are always they always were like good for competition. And uh, I think they stepped up the game, especially during the last years, had some good qualifications, um, even though they had like a bad European Championship two years ago. But I think from that, they actually grew and got some young talents on and actually trained them a little bit better to grow into the big team and not being like, oh, this is my first big tournament. So um, actually are compatible. Um, so maybe them. Do you see the Netherlands coming out or being the best group out of that, that group A? You have Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and then the Netherlands? I think so. Yeah, I would say they have a good chance to win this group. I would say so myself as well. The Netherlands have always been a team that I've been scared of. I love their orange jerseys, too, whenever they pull those guys out. I don't know. Do you, do you hate them, Lena? No, they, they are a neighboring country, so we have, like, a lot of jokes between us going on. Okay. Like, they have some mean ones about Germany, and uh, for us, like, you know, the people who um, get the trash from every every house, in Germany, they wear orange. So we say, like, orange, <laughs> like, only trash people wear orange. So that's what we sing in the stadium, obviously, in the German translation. But, like, that's what how, like, that's what we are throwing to okay. them. I like um, it. I like it. That's cool. <laughs> you already know. Yeah, I personally love the orange jerseys. Yeah. I think I'm a little bi biased because my Chicago Bears, they'll be repping those orange jerseys <laughs> okay, a lot of times. Yeah. So I see them, and I'm like, those look, those look good out there, you know. But good to be something a little internal. 
We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a couple minutes to be talking a little bit more World Cup. Y'all stay tuned. Hello, and welcome back to the Double Devil here on KLJX LP and Flagstaff. I'm your host, Gable Dixon, joined by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. And Lena is our co-host, or our guest for the half hour. We're talking a little football, international football, I should say. Soccer and, and most I of the American terms, you already football. know. Uh-huh. <laughs> France is a big team coming into this World Cup, but they suffered a massive loss. Paul Pogba, one of their better midfielders, is down. Looks like he's not going to be able to make it to the World Cup. Lana, how do you think this is going to impact France's odds going into this World Cup? Well, I think it's actually sure that he won't make it right now. Um, What does he have? Like, he has an injury in his thigh, and then he had also a surgery on his meniscus, so he's, like, really not healthy to play. Um, this will definitely affect France. Like, he's one of the key players on the team, obviously. He's the genius in the midfield, you know, who pulls the strings and passes the ball to the right people. And the problem with France is they all already had, like, a really bad Nations League during the summer. That's, like, pretty... Like, it's not, not usual for France. We, we know different from them. But they lost to Denmark. They lost both matches, actually. They tied to Austria. They tied Croatia and lost to Croatia. So it's, like really bad summer and now they have like all these um bad news like it's not only Pogba they have like Kante is ruled out he's not able to play uh Kimpembe is probably also not going to play it's like really an issue he has like a problems with his Achilles tendon and Varane's not able to play Benzema is not fully fit so mm. they have so many important players on their team that are not 100% in the moment it will definitely have a huge impact on, on France's team and I think yeah you're good to switch to Brazil because I think they don't have that much to say in the World Cup with like this many people ruled out and uh, other important key players are not really having their game in the moment yeah you still have really good players like Griezmann Mbappe who might show up and we'll see what they do throughout it but where do you put them so far Dallas do you think this is really going to put them out of the equation of hoisting that trophy at the end of the day? As Lena said, I, I think it definitely takes them out. When most of your top players are out, the injury bug just went at France. There's there's no way to put it. This is just unlucky, especially at this time, right as the World Cup is going on. It's just bad timing. You're hoping some of your lesser-known players can develop and play a lot better and play up to these these players and their standards. But that's a lot to ask for. These are great players, and them missing time – Imagine missing like your team captains. That's that's something that's gonna huge and it's gonna affect you. So I don't know. France is not. I don't think they're gonna have any chance this year for the World Cup. Yeah. Also, as a national team, you know, you you don't have these many games together. You know, like when you have these young kids coming in now and then grow into the team, they they need to know their place. They need to learn how to play with each other because they're obviously not all from the same club. Maybe especially when they're younger. Maybe they're not even playing in one of the big ones. So they, they don't know how to react with each other. It's like this blind trust, this blind play we normally know from France especially and like other teams. It's just not there because you don't really know your teammates so good or so well. So, yeah, I'm absolutely agreeing with Dallas. It will be difficult. Especially in the division that they're in, or the group, I should say. I'm always thinking in my American terms. But the Group D has France, Denmark, Tanzania, and Australia. It's really going to be a, a difficult group. I see Australia kind of as, as a decent team, but Denmark, I think, might come away at the end of the day being the lead of this group. Lena, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's like that's a pretty good guess. Like, I think with like France being that weekend, Denmark might have a shot, especially as they beat the team two times during the summer. And yeah, Australia definitely, definitely a threat to some someone to watch out. I would say. So let's go a little bit more near and dear to the United States right now. U.S. men's national team is in a pretty tough division group, I should say. England, Iran, Wales, and the United States. Dallas, what type of odds do you give the United States of coming out of this group and making a deep run in this World, in this World Cup? Um, they don't have that great of odds. It's not looking too pretty. But they have a lot of young talent. You have Pulisic, McKenney, Adams... There's there's some names out here to watch for, so you you kind of just hoping that they can get some development and maybe something special happens, some luck goes their way, but it 
I wouldn't put I wouldn't put your money on it. If <laughs> let me put it that way, I wouldn't put your money on it. I definitely see England as the favorites to me personally. Wales is going to be kind of a difficult group too, but I would have to put the United States as my second in that group. I think that they will come out of the group, not as the lead, but I think that they still will come out. What do you think, Lena? I I'm I would say so as well because like we are in the US, so I have to say that no no <laughs> no, and I, I would also think they can make it to the round of sixteen, but it definitely depends on the match between Wales and the US. I would also say that. England suffered some injury blows as well, some like not really nice ones, but I think they still have a lot of good players on that they can manage to go through as like first in the um, in the group. But Wales, it's a bit like a surprise. You never know 100% how they perform in the in the World Championships. Like also, they, it's like the first World Championship in ages they qualified for. Um, but the U.S. also, like, McKenney won't be part of it. It's, he's, like, out with injuries, so it doesn't look good for him. Uh, and he's, like, one of the key players. So, like, a, a lot of young talent. And I think, especially for, like, maybe the next World Cup, um, the U.S. is someone to watch out. But also, like, when we have a look on the world ranking list, like, when we uh, when we have a look on what FIFA is saying about the teams and, like, their performances, like, the U.S. is currently sitting in 16th place, and that's the worst in the like we have a look on the stats from the last year, it's the worst placement. Uh, also the worst placement during this year. So I'm not sure. Not looking too hot yeah. for the United States, basically. I mean, like you mentioned, Dallas, Pulisic, probably our best player. I'll also have some really good talent, but they're up and coming in my belief. I don't think this is really the year for the United States. Hasn't really been ever. So we'll see if... Maybe in the future they can turn it around, but one thing I can promise you, Americans out there, is that the United States won't be bringing home the trophy. That's for sure. You already know. Oh. <laughs> we can all agree on that one. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. <laughs> well, that's going to have to do it for this first hour of the Double Double. My name is Gabriel Dixon, joined by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. Lena, thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. You already know. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking some World Series and a little bit of my real-life example. Y'all stay tuned. Welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP and Flagstaff. I'm your host, Gabriel Dixon, joined by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. Dallas, I got my real-life example going on right now, and man, it's kind of a tough one. I, I talked about it recently, too, the same team. Same situation, kind of, but I have a little bit different perspective on it. It's going to be... About the Arizona Cardinals, a team that a lot of you are fond of, a team that a lot of you have seen go through mainly just rough times, you know. We're in a rough time right now if you're an Arizona Cardinals fan. And what's the solution for you guys? There's a lot of things that this team could do, in my opinion. They seem to have their quarterback which is probably the biggest question mark you can have in the NFL that you need to fill, having a solid quarterback. Have the wide receiver help. you got DeAndre Hopkins. Marquise Brown is there. we got Robbie Anderson now. Decent running backs, Eno Benjamin, James Conner. The defense, defense got problems. That's for sure. Defense got problems, but they have some pieces. They got some pieces somewhere along the board. J.J. Watt's still looking all right, I guess. But this team seems to always be one step behind. Like, they could be there. They could be at the top of the division right now in the NFC West. But they just aren't. The package isn't really put together. And it seems like they're always going to be just a step behind. It reminds me of a lot of, a lot of other things that just came just short of, of what the goal was expecting to be one of them was the ending of game of thrones kind of reminds me of the cardinal season last year everything starts out great first couple seasons are great you know half first half of the season for the cardinals are amazing game of thrones amazing and then we hit the the last couple games or the last couple episodes of game of thrones anyone that's a game of thrones fan will let you know they hated that. They hated the series, everything entirely, because of the last couple episodes. And this is like the Arizona Cardinals last year in the last couple games of the season. It reminds me of what they're doing right now. They have all this talent. Put they have all this talent, all the expectations in the world. 
but it's just not coming together. This team seems to be finding ways to lose almost every Sunday. Loss to the Vikings in a close game, I will say. The Vikings are the best team in the NFC North. So that was a decent loss. Barely beat the, the Saints. Lost to the Seahawks. Lost to the Eagles. Lost to the Rams. To the Chiefs. It's been a tough year for this team. And a lot of people, especially in Arizona, expected this team to at least be a wild card team at this point in time. Cliff Kingsbury might not be that guy for you. But at the end of the day, you still have all this talent. How is a team like the Seattle Seahawks beating you? Seattle Seahawks, you know, my friend Dallas Cooper right next to me will tell me that this was going to happen. But a lot of people didn't see this happening, especially because of Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and company. This team has stars, especially in the offensive end. Cliff Kingsbury is supposed to be an offensive-minded head coach. Coming up just short. You know what it kind of reminds me of? A lot of people are going to hate on me for this one. Dwayne The Rock Johnson's acting career. Oh, man. I, if anyone says this man's an A-list actor, you, you know you're lying to your face. You know, he's, he's a B-list actor. He has all the goods. He's handsome, tough, can act decently, but just not great, not good enough. You know, not something that's going to get you an Oscar or really bring it home. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of talent. A lot of things across the board that make you seem wooed by this person, but they're not going to bring home that A-plus project at the end of the day. They'll give you a B-minus to get you something at the box, off, box office that brings home $120 million, but it ain't ever going to be no Avatar. It ain't never going to be no, no Star Wars. You know, it's, it's never going to be that, that, that A-list movie. You don't think Central Intelligence was A-list? Central Intelligence was F grade, and so are the rest of his movies, in my opinion. A lot of people will say they're decent, but they're really just that numbless, mindless movie you go to just maybe even get one or two decent laughs, I guess, at while while you're doing something else. You know, I don't, I don't I would never go to the movie theater to watch one of those. I'd put it on at home while just as a background movie. And that's kind of like the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals... They're in the background at this point in time. They don't really have all the goods necessary to put it together. Reminds me of someone else's career. Someone else, but this one, this person's going to be in the music industry, and his name goes by the name of 6 9 Man, this man had everything. He had all the views. Maybe he was buying the views. Who knows? Had all, had all, everyone in the world had eyes on this man. And every, and every move that he did, people watched. But then some things happen that I don't want to get into, some legal problems. Man ends up doing some treacherous things. And then his career kind of simmers off. All that spice, all that hotness that he came into the game with, baby, went away. And that's like the Arizona Cardinals' first couple years with Cliff Kingsbury. Now you got Kyler Murray grinding double XP, double, double XP weekends on Call of Duty not getting his team ready enough on Sundays. I think that this Arizona Cardinals team has a lot of promise, but there's there's a couple pieces missing. And I don't know if those pieces can be found this season, honestly. I think it has to do a little bit with coaching. I think when you're a team that good, or at least should be that good on one side of the ball, you shouldn't be looking this bad at this point in the season. Dallas, I kind of threw a couple of these examples at you. Which one did you like the most? You like, which one do you think stuck the most? Was it Dwayne, the B-list actor? Which I would trade in a, in a heartbeat. Don't, uh, I'm not trying to disrespect Dwayne that much. You know, I mean, Dwayne, if you hear this, I love you. I loved Walking Tall. That was a, good, a great movie, honestly. That's probably your best one. I'd say A-. minus. Game plan. Game plan's B. That's a B. That's a B? That's a B That's movie. It's one. a B movie, though. Oh, no. You know, it's yeah. decent. He did that Tooth Fairy movie too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he yeah. has a couple on those. Yeah. You're just like, wow. But which one was your favorite? Was it the Game of Thrones? 
Which one are you going with, Dallas? I, I gotta go with the Dwayne Johnson as a B list. <laughs> Dwayne, that's, that's, that's hilarious. Like, I was thinking, I was wondering where you're gonna go with that, and then when you when you finished it off, I understand where you're coming from. The Cardinals always just look like a team you you would always think they should be a lot better than they are. Yet somehow in the back of your head, you always end up thinking at ah, eight and eight or end this terms like eight and nine, nine and mm-hmm. eight, barely gonna make mm-hmm. it. The Cardinals should be a lot better, and. I don't mean no disrespect by this. J.J. Watt, great human being, great man. But that boy has looked like my laundry washed this season. <laughs> like, <laughs> that boy is different. It's, he's about 35 now. Like, I think it's time to hang it up. J.J. Watt, got Isaiah Simmons, Buda Baker, some playmakers on that defense. Their draft picks have been messing up. Zayvon Collins, first-round pick. So there's some things going wrong on that team. Vance Joseph. The defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals, I do not like. I think personally he hasn't really shown anything really to keep his position. Nothing. I think he's always been a terrible coach. His time at, at with the Denver Broncos as the head coach was, was horrendous. And his defensive stint with the Arizona Cardinals so far has looked pretty bad. I think that he did look like a decent defensive coordinator with the Broncos before he got promoted. That team but they special. also had they also <laughs> had all the talent in the world though you know his scheme is just so I think it it's so dependent on having that talent you need that elite talent and the problem is the Cardinals don't have that so you have problems on the defensive coordinator you have problems with the head coach Cliff Kingsbury but the talent is there the talent is there there's teams with less talent doing more in this Way point more. in this point in this season so there has to be a change. There has to be a change, you know. You, you can't just go into the season with this much talent, looking this great like the Game of Thrones, like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, 6'9", when he first hit the scene, really coming in hot and not putting the package together at the end of the day, not building something really to sustain yourself. And to put something on to where you can make a playoff run, you know, as to where you, maybe you are nominated for the Oscars if you're Dwayne. Maybe people don't hate your series if you're Game of Thrones once it finishes. Or maybe you can finally put a put out a top ten song in the billboards if you're six nine after a couple of years. I think that the Arizona Cardinals need to do the same. Put all put all this talent together, but make it into a playoff run instead of just having a really good first half of the season or even coming into the season looking half half as good as they could and then finishing it um, looking better. You know, I think they need to put something solid together. But that's going to have to do it for my real-life example, y'all. We'll be back in a couple minutes to be talking the World Series. Score is 5-0 to zero right now. The Houston Astros are looking like they're, they're going to take this game. But we'll be back in a couple minutes to be recapping the series and to give you our analysis on that as far. And we'll also be talking about the NFL trade deadline. Y'all stay tuned. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wesley Night on the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. With your co-host, Dallas Cooper, and my other co-host, Gabriel Dixon, we just got through with Gabe's real-life example comparing the Arizona Cardinals to some interesting figures. We had Dwayne Johnson and his acting career, 6'9", and his rapping career. And we also had a Game of Thrones reference to the Arizona Cardinals. But we're going to take it right now to the World Series going on right now in the bottom of the ninth inning right now. The Phillies are up to bat, down 5-0. The Astros really came out after getting pretty much dominated. That was one of the most insane games I've wa- I watched last Seven game. 7-0. 7-0. I turned the screen on when it was 4 or I think it was like 4-3-0 and I was watching for maybe 30 minutes and the score immediately went up to 7. This Phillies lineup is literally insane one through nine. You got there's Reese Hoskins over there, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos. All of these players could go yard at any moment. That Bryce Harper home run in the last game, that that was literally a moment of baseball that was literally is legendary. The MVP chants going on, the fans going, MVP. MVP. Bryce Harper walks up. He got the walk-up song going. He takes his time. First pitch, curveball, takes it yard to start the game. Two outs in the first. That's what a way to start off the game for the Phillies on that in that game three. Man, 
Man, man, man. I think this series is going to honestly, now that I'm thinking about it more and more, I think this series might come down to game one, honestly. That was a very close game one. Phillies pulled away by one, one run. And I'm honestly just of the mindset, you take game one, especially when you're the underdog, that puts you up heavy. But then you're, you're looking at a Houston Astros team that's currently pitching a no-no right now. They're in the bottom of the ninth, and there's been no hits by the Philadelphia Ooh. Phillies, a team that really prides themselves on getting getting hits, you know? So that could, that could mentally do something to a team like the Philadelphia Phillies. Christian Javier having a solid game, passing it over to Brian Abreu, Rafael Montero, Ryan Presley also continuing the streak. Philadelphia Phillies... They might, they're definitely, in my opinion, going to give this this game away. So it's going to even the series to two to two. Who do you think is your favorite at this point? I'm going to have to stick with my pick before. This might be a special year for Philadelphia. We, no one saw the Eagles coming out immediately six and one, I believe, right now, and got the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series as well. Can the world handle? Two Philadelphia mm-hmm. teams winning a national ch- or winning national championship. I don't know if the city of Philly can. That I don't city even will think be on fire probably. Oh, it definitely will, and I think they would probably be happy about it. If oh yeah, if they would be happy oh, yeah. about That's it. That's what they'd want. So, I gotta say, I think Philly might. It just might be Philly's year this year. I think they have something special brewing over there. Bryce Harper, potential, could be this final or World Series MVP if they win it. It's going to be very interesting if we see this team get a no-no, honestly. Oh, that's going to be A no-hitter right now. Very volatile, the Phillies lineup, though. They are, they are known to be like that. Wonder... Strikeouts, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of games where they will score zero, and then the next game we'll see them score like eight. I wonder how much times a no-no has honestly been pitched in the World Series. Probably, I don't really remember one off the top of my head. I can't remember I can't, any. Yeah. So this will be a very uh, outstanding game. We'll see. Looks like, obviously, Houston's going to be taking this one. Let's move over to a little football action, though. We saw the trade deadline this past couple days. A lot of people moving teams. Lions dealt TJ Hawkinson to the rival Vikings, giving the Vikings an additional player. The only World Series no-hitter was also a perfect game tossed by the New York Yankees' Don Larson against the Dodgers in Game 5 of the 1956 World Series, an update that Dallas Cooper just gave me. So it hasn't been done since 1956. If that happens tonight, it definitely would make some history. Back to some football, though. Had some major trades. What do you think about that TJ Hawkinson trade? Do you think that might put the Vikings in a position to make a real title run? The Vikings' biggest, the Vikings biggest trouble was... Definitely facing against two high defenses. Justin Jefferson led the league in receiving yards and efficiency versus cover one, cover three. Kirk Cousins has eaten those coverages alive. But when they put two safeties back and send a double, the Vikings offense tends to stall a lot. TJ Hawkinson is a threat over the middle that can really take, take kind of the pressure off of them. They don't have to go with the deep balls, those 20-yard crossers every time and live off of that. You got the guy who can get you maybe a... 10-yard corner, 10-yard in route. Hawkins is, is a – he's not a star tight end. I don't think he's ever going to be that highly of a tight end where it was worth that fourth <laughs> overall pick. But he's still a very valuable piece that could really elevate that offense. The Lions, I don't know what that, what they're doing. I don't, I don't get that. I honestly like TJ Hawkinson a lot. I liked him coming out, played for Iowa. He yep. was a really good tight end there. I think he's a really good run, run block yes. tight end, and he can pass catch. Very well. He's subtle. He's subtle speed over there. He had a, I think he had like a 40-yard bomb against the Seahawks. He, he had a really, he's really subtle on deep threat. So I think this will be very dangerous, honestly. I think the Vikings are a good team. The one thing I think, I think their defense is lacking. I think their secondary needs help. Honestly, all around that defense needs a little bit more help. So I don't know if this is exactly the area that they needed to, to add to, but it definitely makes them a little bit more dangerous. Kind of banking on, on this team right now. I mean, they're 6-1, and one, best in the NFC North. So they're, in my mind, kind of going in on this season, giving away a fourth-round pick. Really really trying to see Kirk Cousins and this team, see how much they can get out of them. Who knows how long Kirk Cousins will be with this team. Honestly, if this team can't produce this year as well, they just got rid of Mike Zimmer. My, maybe he's the next piece to go. Another team that did a decent amount during the trade deadline was the Chicago Bears. 
near and dear to my heart, Chicago Bears traded away Robert Quinn, our defensive end, and we also traded Roquan Smith to the Baltimore Ravens for a second-round pick and a fifth. Still have not heard whether or not that's our second-round pick, the Bears, or or the Ravens' second-round pick that we traded for Chase Claypool for, the wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is on the Chicago Bears now. How do you like the, the moves that the Chicago Bears made this, this trade deadline, Dallas? I liked it. I actually really like the Bears' moves. They're, they fully went into developing Justin Fields and giving him help. That's all you could ask for if you're a Bears fan at this point. My only question, if I'm questioning Ryan Poles, the GM, would be, why didn't you make this move sooner? You knew you were not going to pay Roquan Smith. I think, rightfully, you shouldn't have paid him over $20 million. And Roquan was asking for about 22 with a lot of guaranteed money. It's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens pay for that, too. And the Ravens have to also play, pay Lamar Jackson this offseason. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. But going back to the Bears, why didn't you do this sooner? If you do this in the offseason, you probably get a first-round pick. Maybe you get a first and a third, a first and a fourth, something. You probably would have got way more value than trading him at the deadline. Now he has. That's why the Ravens didn't give too much. It's because it's a half-year rental. If it was a full-year rental, at least they would have probably given up a first. And that's real, you know. But I still do believe that getting a second and a fifth out of someone that could potentially yep. be gone under your team in eight games, it's pretty valuable. That's better, better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. And Ryan Pauls, we now, the Chicago Bears, I shouldn't say we, they have eight picks in this next coming draft. Whew. Added Chase Claypool, a solid receiver alongside Darnell Mooney. So I think this team has some has some decent upside. Offensive line's been looking really good this year for the Chicago Bears. Cole Komet. Starting, Cole Komet's been good, too. They're starting to finally put a nice game plan around Justin Fields. Team's looking good. Best of the, best hopes that I've seen out of Chicago in a while. But that's going to have to do it for this edition of the Double Double on Wednesdays, Dallas. You already know. Would you like to say goodbye? I guess he doesn't want to say goodbye. I don't want to say he doesn't want to it. say goodbye to yeah, y'all. I think Gary know. Gabe got it this time. But this is the double double year, you know, with Gabriel Dixon, Dallas Cooper. We'll be back next Wednesday, 7 to 8 30. You already know what it is. Thank y'all for staying tuned and take it easy.